Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am Glossy senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here with Glossy's fashion reporter Zofia Zviglinska, who's calling in from London. Zofia, how are you? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on again. Of course. And thank you for filling in for me last week. I was on vacation, um, having a great time, not thinking about the fashion industry at all. But now <laughs> I'm back. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a couple of things. We're going to talk about Be Real, uh, the app, the social media app where you only have two minutes to post a day. Um, we're going to talk about the state of luxury and inflation, looking at some data from Ralph Lauren and Capri Holdings that came out. And then finally, we're going to talk about the Inflation Reduction Act and some of the implications for fashion brands contained therein. We will get to this more later when we talk about it, but I was like feeling so, I was in extremely like climate doomer mode the last couple weeks. I was feeling really depressed about climate change and the Inflation Reduction Act is not perfect, but it is really, I'm like, this is the first good thing that's happened in a long time, in my opinion. So uh, I'm excited to talk about that. But let's let's start with Be Real. Um, so I'm sure those of you listening, you've probably heard of this, but if you have not, it's basically like an Instagram type social media photo sharing app with the catch being that you get a notifications at some point throughout the day, and you have two minutes to post a photo that you have to take right then and there. And it's random every day, I think, and and you have no, you know, you just have to be ready. And the idea is that it's supposed to promote kind of spontaneity. You can't plan your posts in advance unless you just like sit, you know, in front of the the Instagram wall at some restaurant for, you know, 12 hours into waiting for the ping. But genu- generally, I think it's supposed to kind of like encourage people to just show what they're actually doing and not this very rehearsed kind of classic Instagram kind of, you know, posed, composed mm. kind of thing that we're, we're all used to. Um, yeah. So, Sophia, we'll, we'll talk about brands getting in there. But just like, first off, what, what are, what's your impression of, of this app and like the whole concept of like realness versus like, you know, the kind of artificial nature that that social media has sometimes like before we get into the brand stuff, what just what are, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, of course. I mean, I've been on the app for about two weeks now. And honestly, I still think that two minutes is way too long to kind of like plan out a shot. Essentially, you can still, you know, try and coordinate some kind of a setup in two minutes. And I think the interesting thing here with Be Real is the fact that you've got the front camera takes a photo at the same time as the back camera. So you've got like this, you know, very flattering (laughs) headshot (laughs) while you take a photo of your surroundings, which unfortunately most of my Be Reals just consist of me, my face and my desk. Um, But, you know, that happens. I think that at the moment, unless you're somewhere on holiday, it's probably not going to be the most interesting thing. And I think that yeah. part of like the appeal of the app is that kind of mundane aspect of capturing, you know, exactly your life as it is. Um, you know, it's it's fun. But I must say, I think that I'm still kind of preferring, you know, TikTok and Instagram and kind of more interactive platforms. Um, I think a lot of it has got to do with the the kind of idea of uh, you know, reactive dynamism, as it was called in 2017, where it's like, mm. what is authentic and, you know, real? And like, people would say, okay, well, at the beginning, Instagram was real because you could like customize your photos with all of those fun filters. Remember the like sepia tone and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the 
other other kind of like apps came and like everyone's kind of touting like they're better than the last people and it's like that whole battle between coke and pepsi it's like who's better mm. so it kind of feels like that i'm not sure if there's like as much appeal for this app as you know for instagram i'm not sure if there's really anywhere it can yeah. grow but you know it's a fun thing to do right now and you know it seems very popular with like the gen z crowd I, yeah, I think for me, like I have, I have not used the app, but I tend to prefer, you know, following people who post things like on any social media app that I use that post fewer things, but with more effort put into them. Like mm. I follow a lot of like people I follow on TikTok are, you know, not just like posting like a random 10 second video of them, like at the pool, but like mm. some sort of, you know, actual content in it, whether it's like a tutorial or, you know, something with some value. And I feel like Be, Be Real is kind of, like, impossible to do something like that. Like, everything is by the nature of the app, like, just kind of a random thing, which, you know, has its appeal, but not really for me. One quick question for you, Zofia, since you've used it. Do the, like, around what time do you get the notification? Is it, like, just, it's different every day, right? But it's not going to be at, like, 3 a.m. or something. No, no, it's definitely not. For me, I don't know. Maybe I've, like... My my settings are wrong or something, but like my ones come up pretty regularly at like eleven thirty my time, so like eleven thirty or two p.m. my time, so like early afternoon. I think the assumption is that you know you're out there doing something <laughs> instead of just being sitting at a desk. But, right, um, right. Yeah, I think that it's it's probably different for for other people though. Okay, cool. Just wanted to know. So, but you know, with the the fashion and beauty angle on it. I mean, our colleague, Sarah Spruch-Feiner, wrote a great story about Be Real and some of the brands getting in on it. She mentioned Elf Cosmetics, um, kind of like testing it and promoting some, you know, teasing some product that's coming out soon. Um, and, and she talked to some of the the marketers at these brands. In Beauty is another one. Um, and it seems like, it seems very unbrand friendly in that like so much like brand strategy on social media is like, very planned out it's like it's planned you know weeks in advance and they schedule it and it's like hyper you know produced and everything and be real seems like the opposite of that so i'm like do they just have you know somebody's phone ready to go and like product laid out and everything and just whenever i guess that's what they have to do but to me i think even just the presence of the brands on it kind of feels like the opposite of what the app is intended for you know like it's not supposed to be this like planned out produce thing it's supposed to be real and so like i don't know it, I, obviously the brands always want to get in on on everything but like advertising is kind of inherently not real in in some way um what do you think sophia is there any sort of like is there a real market there or is it kind of just like a fun novelty for those brands to try out while while the gen z people are there i mean i think that that's how they described it in um in sarah's article like a lot of them said that you know they'll just have the phone nearby and the product like in the studio and they'll be listening for the ping and then they'll post it. So, you know, it's a very different way of doing marketing. But I think a lot of the time now, you know, especially as people kind of move away from Instagram, like, you know, early adopters on TikToks were rewarded um, by, you know, larger follow accounts, you know, being on the platform for longer, testing those capabilities. So I think with other apps as well, you know, trying it out and testing and iterating it's a good thing. Like essentially, you know, you're getting to know a different way of doing something and it might come in useful, even if you don't have like a fully laid out marketing strategy for it, you know, in, in the coming kind of years. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll see. I mean, like, I, I think the, the 
app is like really buzzy and people are into it right now, it might just be one of those things that's like kind of hovers in the background and, and you know, most book, but, you know, interesting to watch how the brands tackle it. Okay, let's talk about, so Ralph Lauren and Capri Holdings both had earnings this week. Um, the earnings were quite good for both of them. And I wanted to talk about them because I feel like it is a little bit indicative of, of what's going on in the U.S. With, with inflation right now. So both companies saw their revenues up around 9%. Um, I think one was like 8.3 and the other was 8 point something. So a little less than 9%. Um, but uh, Reuters also reported that both of them had increased their inventory a lot in the last quarter. So 66% more inventory at Capri and 47% more inventory at Ralph Lauren. To me, that, that tells me that, you know, obviously they're trying to get ahead of supply chain delays by like buying extra inventory up front. A lot of brands are doing that. But I also think the level of increased inventory to me speaks to a, a confidence that they're going to be able to, to sell all that stuff. Um, you know, I think that's like the, the two competing interests that a lot of fashion brands have had to deal with recently is like buying more inventory to make up for supply chain demands, but not buying so much inventory that you're stuck with it if people don't actually shop it. So because Capri and Ralph Lauren are both a little more elevated, they're a little more, I guess Ralph Lauren is maybe not quite luxury, but I think Capri is pretty comfortably adjacent to luxury. Um, we've talked about how those brands and, and those companies like are not quite as, uh, they're a little bit more insulated from the effects of inflation. Price increases don't bother the luxury customer quite as much because price is not really a factor in whether they buy something or not. Like, like um, Chanel increases its prices all the time, like for fun, and it, you know, doesn't matter to the Chanel customer. Um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that, Zofia? The, those, those companies seeing, you know, increased revenue and also buying pretty confidently into more inventory. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, showing both of those companies as, you know, relatively comfortable at this point in time might not really be a surprise. You know, you've got a, probably a great amount of summer sales. Um, you know, there's a, been a lot of consumer confidence in those areas, I think, over the last couple of months. I don't think, you know, inflation has maybe hit quite yet. I think a lot of it's going to, you know, come down pretty hard in autumn and winter. I mean, I know definitely in the UK, but obviously in America as well. Um, and I think that that might impact the sales a little bit more, you know, going forward. At the moment, from what I understand, from what I've talked to um, expert-wise, like it doesn't seem like the supply chains are in quite as much trouble as they were earlier this year in January. So I think that, you know, companies are a little bit more confident as long as they can put that money forward to make sure that they've got all of those kind of elements um, they will be fine for them. I think the the aspect of inventory might be, you know, a bigger one. Perhaps they might not be able to sell as much going forward, but obviously that wouldn't have been included in in these kind of earnings. Yeah, no, definitely that's true. And, and I've heard something similar about um, cargo shipping, like by sea, becoming slightly, slightly easier, slightly less um, congested and expensive and stressful as it's been. Um, I don't know if that's uh, going to clear up completely this year, but I, I've I've heard that it's getting slightly slightly easier. Um, also, interestingly, I was looking into some inflation data in the U.S. and um, from July 2021 to July 2022, prices in the U.S. were up eight percent, um, so more than last year. But it's actually slowed down a little bit from June of 2021 to 2022 um, when they were up nine percent. 
I think I got that right. It's kind of confusing. Basically, last month, year over year, prices were up 9%. This month, year over year, prices were up 8%. And between June and July, I think there was no price increases at all. I think it was a 0% like flat inflation. So it could be the the a sign that maybe it will kind of alleviate a little bit later this year. But I mean, like you said, it might just be that you know, the fl- the fluke of the market in the summer and that in the winter, we, we continue to see prices go up and, and inflation still hitting. Um, I am interested in seeing how, you know, we're, we're very U.S. focused, but obviously you're based in London. You have a little bit more visibility on the U.K. market. I'm, I'm wondering, like, do you feel as a consumer, like, have you noticed prices in the U.K. just anecdotally higher or, or impacting you in any way? Um, I mean, consumer like food products are definitely going up in price. But in terms of like fashion goods, I don't think that anything has gone up in price yet. Um, Obviously, you know, you have to kind of counter in material costs, supply chain expenses, like all of that stuff would contribute to brands, you know, shifting that cost onto the consumer. But from what I've seen, it hasn't happened yet. I think a lot of companies are probably just taking on you know, more costs themselves, perhaps, you know, taking out more debt, which, you know, is not great. Um, I think it, it might, again, <laughs> kind of hit them in the face a little bit later on, but we'll see how how it reacts. And I think the biggest kind of impact will be the, the energy price rise and kind of if businesses are going to be affected in October. Like that is, is definitely something that has been brewing and, you know, there's been some um, some serious kind of concern around that. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm thinking in the next couple of weeks, we might want to dedicate a section of Week in Review to talk about energy in the UK specifically, because mm. I, I think you're totally right. That's that's a big thing that's kind of looming over that, that whole market right now. Speaking of inflation, let's talk finally about the Inflation Reduction Act, which was a big bill that was passed or is passing at the time of this recording through the Senate um, in the US. It's kind of a hilarious name because it's like much more focused on like climate and clean energy and healthcare. And I feel like the Inflation Reduction Act is just a way to like trick people into, you know, not realizing that it, that's what it is. But um, like I said at the beginning of the episode, I have been feeling very depressed about climate change response in the U.S. recently. The Supreme Court decision, I don't know if you saw this, Sophia, about the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and sort of limiting their ability to enforce regulations was really like just making me spiral because I'm like, okay, well, if the Environmental Protection Agency is not able to protect the environment, then like who is? Like nobody apparently has the authority to enforce these regulations. So that's not good. But the Inflation Reduction Act, in my opinion, has a lot to be excited about for people who care about sustainability. Um, There's a lot of great tax credits for green energy. I personally am like, would really love to buy an electric car sometime in the next like couple of years. and, And there's some really nice credits in there for individual consumers buying um, electric vehicles, along with all sorts of like larger infrastructural things around solar and wind energy and stuff like that. It's it's the kind of thing that I think a lot of other countries have been doing for years now, and the U.S. has been very frustratingly slow on. Um, and I'm very happy to see that something finally got, got passed. So um, before we get into the impact on fashion, Sophia, as a as an outside observer, I mean, what what has been your impression of like the U.S.'s climate efforts and and did did the did the Inflation Reduction Act get much attention in in the U.K. press? Like, are are people kind of aware of of the U.S.'s sort of slow movement on this and and what just happened? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has. Um, I think probably more on the internet than anything else. I don't think I've seen anything in the traditional kind of press. Um, but it is something that, you know, is very notable. Like you have to account for the fact that, you know, when it comes to the US, it always seems like it's a leader when it comes to initiating new policies or um, giving out, you know, funding to certain areas. And I think it can be something that will lead by example, hopefully by other countries as well. Obviously, in Europe, it's been a long standing thing. But with UK and Brexit and like the changes in leadership, I think that the climate agenda has kind of slipped off the radar a little bit here. So I'm hoping that, mm -hmm. you know, this is um, a way to to fire it back up again and to showcase that, you know, the UK is no worse when it comes to to giving out either tax credits or, you know, advancing the the scene when it comes to climate and sustainability. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, the thing that I think is most relevant for our discussion here is, um, you know, you've covered a lot of sustainability stuff and, and I have as well. And I always feel like when I talk to people in the industry, they always are saying like, yeah, we want to do more, but it's like, it's expensive. It's difficult to, to switch off from kind of like fossil fuels and stuff and get over to clean energy and circular materials and all that stuff. Like people want to do it, but it's like, it can be hard um, without any sort of like help. Um, the thing that I'm most excited about in the Inflation Reduction Act is there's a lot, like I said, a lot of subsidies and a lot of tax credits for uh, individual consumers, but also, you know, on the larger structural level to switch over to more clean energy. Um, I'm really hoping that the U.S. manufacturing and, and like, the U.S.-based fashion companies will be incentivized and, and have some help in switching over to clean, like, you know, electric vehicles. If we get electric, like, ground shipping or wind and solar energy powering manufacturing, I mean, I think there's a lot of good that can be done with it. Um, I think the estimate is to reduce the U.S.'s emissions by 40% by 2030, um, you know, which is a great goal, slightly below the 50% reduction in emissions that President Biden initially wanted, but I mean, 40 is better than zero. Um, so, Zofia, have you heard kind of similar things from people that you talk to that, you know, switching over to these kind of like making these big, larger structural changes to the supply chain is is difficult without any sort of aid? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's something that's been missing, you know, like legislation, kind of government help, like all of that is something that a lot of brands are, are talking about right now, because if it doesn't come from the top, it essentially is very hard to implement. Um, and it can be very difficult for brands to do it all themselves. So I think doing this, um, you know, also kind of focusing on American production again, um, manufacturing and raw material production in the US, like that's something that hasn't actually come back to the country for, you know, 40 plus years, I think, since, mm -hmm. you know, production moved over to um, to Asia. I think that bringing that back, combining that with climate efforts, making sure that, you know, brands would also be set up in place with more sustainable options kind of drives this whole fashion rhetoric that, you know, they don't have to be as impactful on, you know, on climate change that could be done a different way. And um, I think that's something that's really important. And even with the kind of 15% tax for bigger corporations, I think having that infrastructure in place will just be useful for brands who are thinking about their long-term vision. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen this, but I mean, one of the one of the big concessions, I think that a lot of the proponents, the environmental proponents of this bill kind of had to make to specifically Joe Manchin, but um, was 
in in the bill there is a lot of provisions for the opening of new oil drilling territory throughout the U.S. But I, I've seen some analysis that's sort of like that's not great, and you know we want to be using less fossil fuels and not more. Um, but at the same time, there's so much else in the bill that incentivizes not using fossil fuels and using renewables that I'm hoping that all of that kind of counteracts the opening of these new, because it's not like guaranteeing that that land will be used for drilling. It's just opening its use for drilling. So if there's no demand for it, and if it this is like a tipping point that switches or, or begins to move the whole country towards renewables, it might be that that, you know, all of that territory doesn't even end up used for oil drilling, which would be nice. Um, last thing, uh, I often feel like, um, in talking about sustainability, you know, sometimes I talk to especially bigger companies in, in fashion and they are like, we're all about sustainability. We all want to do what's right for the environment. And then when I bring up regulation and legislation, they kind of balk a little bit and they're like, well, but we don't want to be, you know, we don't think that regulations and rules and punishments is like the best way to do it. I think that it is because I think that there's a lot of nice people who work in fashion, but there's also a lot of people who, for whom, you know, profit is the most important thing. And I think a lot of these big companies will not, they won't make these switches without being legally required to, you know, like they're not going to do what's right unless they literally have to, um, especially when it's just more profitable, um, you know, at the moment to not do what's right. So, um, in, in your conversations with, with people in the industry, do you feel like there's a little bit of that feeling as well of like, oh, well, we'll just do what's right because that's part of our values, but like, we don't think we should actually be regulated or have these mandates or anything. I mean, is that something you've heard? I mean, maybe I've just been lucky talking to brands who kind of put that as like the center point of, um, of their whole kind of brand identity that sustainability is just a part of that. I think the few times I've talked to bigger corporations, it's, it's always kind of talked around but even then mm -hmm. you know their own sustainability efforts are touted like it's something that they care about and I, I think that legislation is just something that makes it a lot harder for them to get away with you know greenwashing mm -hmm. um and to possibly get away with some of the claims that they're putting forward which I think is is you know the next thing that is coming like there's been so much legislation that's coming out of California um and you know the fashion act as well I think it's it's all kind of coming together and seeing that you know all of these different elements are going to be affecting the fashion industry kind of shows brands that this isn't something that they can kind of no longer pass off like they have to prepare for this because once these rules are in place they will have to probably pay penalties if they don't have these things in place so i think it makes sense for them now to to you know to make that effort to make sure that they have that infrastructure in place yeah and and i think that like you mentioned that 15% minimum corporate taxes i think mm. For me, I, I mean, that's like such a hugely important piece of it. And I think it's a great provision. And I know that a lot of those big companies are not happy about it. But, you know, <laughs> it's like too bad. We got to we this is something that we have to do. Um, yeah, I think we're going to wrap it up there. For those of you listening, thank you so much. And please, uh, if you haven't given us a rating or a review, whether on Apple Podcasts or any other, you know, podcast app that you use, please do so because that really helps a lot. And you should also subscribe to the Glossy Podcast because you will hear on Wednesday our editor-in-chief, Jill Manoff, giving uh, or doing interviews with really smart, incredible people inside the industry. And then every Friday, I host the Week in Review podcast, sometimes with Jill, sometimes with Sophia. Um, the next few weeks, we might mix it up and get some of the Glossy Beauty reporters on the podcast. Um, 
we'll we'll see how it goes. But Sophia, thank you so much for joining us again. It's always great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thank you so much again, Danny.